Let's hear from God's word. The first Bible reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 28, verses 16 to 22. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken stricken with panic. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it comes, it will carry you away, morning after morning, day by day and by night, it will sweep through. The understanding of this message will bring sheer terror. The bed is too short to stretch out on and the blanket too narrow to wrap around you. The Lord will rise up as he did at Mount Perizim. He will rouse himself as in the valley of Gibeon to do his work, his strange work, and perform his task, his alien task. Now stop your mocking or your chains will become heavier. The Lord, the Lord Almighty has told me the destruction decreed against the whole land. The second reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. A little bit lighter. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. And there's a third reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. 
But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank you, Rob. <clears throat> and thank you, Linda. Welcome. He's doing it. Do you feel it? He's doing it. The Lord's doing it. He's building his kingdom. I'm excited to be here opening God's word with you. I trust that as you uh, and I come before the Lord this morning and open his word together, uh, that we'll be strengthened and encouraged. And so I invite you now to pray with me as we seek the Lord's help. Father, would you bless us and give us insight through your Holy Spirit to discern and to know your will. God, would you strengthen and help us. For we come into this place having spent much time in this world, having been conditioned to think like the world, to value what the world values, to try to fit it into its system. But we thank you, Lord, that we come in these doors and we don't have to be like the world. But Father, we are free, free to be your people. And we know we're free everywhere we go. But Lord, we pray now that you would strengthen us as we gather together in praise of you. In Jesus' name, amen. I might ask our lovely volunteers at the back if it's possible to get that projector on. That would be a great help. Nope, we can't. That's all right. Well, good thing I have a backup. All right, so if I'm looking down more, uh, I apologize. Uh, well, welcome again this morning. My name is Jonathan. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I would love to uh, spend some time with you after the service. Uh, if uh, you're visiting with us, special welcome. Be sure to grab a welcome pack on your way out. Fill out your details, and we'd, be loved, we'd love to get in contact with you, answer any questions you might have, uh, and, uh, yeah, just generally see what the Lord's up to in your life. Uh, just a reminder about a few things on the... Uh, 3rd of July, we're moving back to one, one morning service, okay? So we're back to 9.30. So uh, just noting that for everyone here, just spread the word back to 9.30 starting in July, July 3rd. That's when we're going to meet 9.30 in the morning for one uh, morning service. Uh, but we are going through a series that we've titled, What is the Church? And um, I realize that I've given you a lot of readings, but there could have been more. Um, so, so know that that was a very difficult decision. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll be spending the majority of our time in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, we can do that. But first, I just want to say welcome. Welcome. Gathered family of God, that's, that's who you are. Welcome to you, the gathered family in the Lord. Welcome as we rally under the banner of Christ. That's what we're doing this morning. We are the gathered family of God. We're rallying under the banner of Christ. Now, why are we going through this topical series? Uh, our aims are first to reorient our focus, our focus off of ourselves and onto the Lord. Remember, the church doesn't exist for us. The church exists for God. We're here to remember our purpose to, to become re-centered on the why, why we are who we are and why we do what we do. We're here to renew our love, renew our love for one another and our love for the Lord and to reflect our God. 
Uh, we reflect him as we bring praise to him, and we reflect him as we live in the power of the Spirit, manifesting the grace of God and the life of God to one another. Uh, in terms of an overview, this is where we've been so far. Uh, we are looking at kind of the church in relation to the triune God. And so there's 12 messages in this series, four uh, per person of the Trinity. Uh, and we're starting with the Father. And under this heading of the assembly of God's people, we're seeing that the church is God's household, it's God's building, and next week we'll see it's God's field. So this week, we're looking at the church as God's building, and these are the texts we're focusing on, Isaiah 28, 16, that should say to 22, um, uh, Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, and 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. Now, if you weren't here last week, just a bit of a refresh. Last week, we saw that the church is a family gathered into God's household, and the idea here is that God is is, is our Father. We have all become His children through faith in Jesus Christ, and that, that status as His children is utterly transformative. It, it totally shifts us into, into a new being of existence. And so the change that the gospel brings is not simply a change uh, to our rhythms and our routines, but it's a change to the core of who we are, and it impacts every sphere of our life. And mostly, it enables us to call God Father. And so last week we talked about here, here at WDBC, we're a family, and so transformation for us means, it means learning to trust our Father's kindness. It means discovering the richness of Jesus. It means using our privileges as God's child and receiving one another as brothers and sisters. And finally, not living like orphans, but living as heirs of God's kingdom. That's what we looked at last week. I encourage you to go back to that message if the Lord is prompting you to do so. But here we're looking at what is the church and, and specifically this idea of a building, the church as God's building. And we live in a world of structures and so our, our big question is if the church is a structure, what is God gathering us for? What, 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 is, what is he building? And here we see that this great construction project of the church is, is God is building a dwelling place on earth. God is building a dwelling place on earth. I see some of you like, huh? What? <laughs> Follow me on this. The first man and the first woman resided with God in a garden, didn't they? God dwelled among his people. This morning, I happened to be reading in Revelation 21, the very end of the Bible, and what does it say? After he describes the church coming down, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, he says, now God's dwelling is with people. When God made men and women, he made them to live with them, to be in fellowship and in communion with them, to abide with them, to live in his creation. And now, God is dwelling in the church Jesus would say to the woman at the well, he would say when, they were, when she brought up, well, you worship over there and we worship over here as if to say, well, look, everyone's got their own religion, everyone's got their own faith, you know, just put that in a separate box. Jesus said, look, a time is coming when you're not going to worship God on this mountain or that mountain, but those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And here, this is sort of part two of our big idea. <laughs> God's constructing his dwelling place among us. God is dwelling among us. I said this and my kids started laughing. They said, oh, among us, do you play among us? No, that's not what I'm referring to. God is dwelling 
dwelling in our midst. Is that your view when you come to church? When you gather with brothers and sisters and you say, actually, this is, this, is where God, this is where God inhabits. I sort of threw off our staff meeting and our leadership when I said, if you want to find God on earth, where do you go? You go to the church. You want to encounter God on earth, you go to the church, capital C. Is that our expectation, though? See, many people don't go to church expecting to find God. They go to church expecting to find maybe nice people or going to go church expecting to find a bit of encouragement, go to church expecting to find a place to get involved, go to church expecting to do some good for the community. But how many people actually go to the church because that's where God dwells on earth? His home is in heaven, but right now, God who is spirit dwells in the church on earth. That's where you find him. It's where he lives, and he is building an abode, a house. That's the big idea. And so what is the church? We, we are God's building. We. We're a construction project. <laughs> so in terms of an overview, uh, as living stones, sort of, we are gathered together to form God's dwelling, and I love living in Sydney because right now, especially in this area, you don't have to look far to see a house under construction, right? This, this illustration lives in our every day-to-day lives. You can't walk far around the block, uh, at least where I live, without seeing multiple new homes going up. People are building around here all the time. Everyone's looking for a place to build, a place to build their own home. But here, God is saying, you are my home, and I am constructing you. So God describes the church as the structure that's built to host his holy presence. And so to understand our purpose, we need to answer these three questions. This is where we're going today. What is God building with us? How is God building it in us? And what does the building say about its architect? Every structure speaks. Architecture communicates. I love the show Grand Designs. You know, and I wish I could have, what's his, what's his name? Old Kev, the big guy, you know. You just, you, you just sort of hear him, you know. Into the midst of this barren landscape, this, you know, you know this structure imposes its will. You know, I wish I had something poetic to describe, you know. Someone like that should be giving this message because... The architecture of the church says something about the designer. Some of you watch, most of you don't. I can tell by that reaction. But this is where we're going. What is God building? How is he building it? And what does the building say about the architect? In terms of our context, the Old Testament context today comes from two places mainly, but there's other verses at the bottom. So if you're a note taker, I encourage you to write those verses at the bottom down. Uh, A lot from Isaiah. Um, early on in Isaiah chapter 8, uh, the prophet is given the image of a stone. Uh, that's a symbolic picture of God's presence among his people who are in doubt. There's the, the people of God in Isaiah's day are questioning and wondering uh, whether God's going to come through, whether, whether they can stand up in the, the times that they're facing against, against the enemy. And in the midst of that, God's prophet is given this message and God says, I lay a stone. 
And the stone is this symbolic picture of God's presence among his people. But later on, this holy stone, we're told in, in chapter 28, it's going to bring both unity and stumbling to Israel. It's going to unite the houses of Judah and, uh, and Israel, the northern kingdom. But it's also going to be a stumbling block because he, that's interesting, the stone now is personified, he becomes a representative of God's perfect justice and righteousness. You heard the language of the plumb line. The plumb line, that, 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 that perfect measure so you know that everything is straight. Here, this stone will be that plumb line. The second reading, which, which we didn't really bring in uh, today, but it's Psalm 118, and here it's a, it's a celebration psalm, and, and you're, you're pictured with the psalmist as, as this stone, this cornerstone is being brought in, and the great celebration that's taking place is the stone is being brought in, and there's, it's a great psalm of praise. I encourage you to write that down, and that's inspired many of the authors in the New Testament. In terms of our New Testament context, the two, the two passages we're looking at were read for us uh, by Rob at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, and 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. Now here, note how both apostles, Peter and Paul, each make use of the stone imagery in the Old Testament by showing how Jesus is the crux of God's salvation plan. Jesus is the stone Isaiah was talking about. He's the cornerstone. He's the one celebrated in Psalm 118. Jesus is the crux. In this way, he's the fulcrum of humanity. He's at once the gateway to eternal life as well as to total destruction. The stakes couldn't be higher. You could sum up the fate of every human being in one decision. How do they respond to the stone? Or, in the way our Lord used it in a colorful picture, the wise and the foolish builder. <laughs> Two people building a house. And Jesus says, the one who builds on my words, they will survive the tempest. <clears throat> in their own way, each, pic uh, each picture presents... Jesus functioning as the cornerstone in the dwelling that God is building among his people. And with God present, this building that we call the church, it becomes a spirit-filled temple. So we realize that God's plan was not just to have a stone, but that stone was the way that the foundation was set so that everything before Jesus and everything after Jesus conforms to who, who he is as this stone. That's the foundation. And then the people of God are those who are constructed upon the foundation. And that whole foundation rises, as Paul says, to become a temple. You see how the image develops throughout God's word. So now, to, oh, sorry, real quick. At the bottom there, again, note these, note these verses, Luke 20, John 2, Acts 4, 1 Corinthians 3, all making use of this image, all making use of this picture to understand who we are as God's people. All right. Now, the church is God's temple. What is God building? He's building a temple. Woo! <laughs> really? A temple? Temples sort of have this like sort of mystique to them. It's like, ooh, am I allowed in the temple? Am I, ooh. You know, I don't know how we feel about temples. You know, many of us might have said, look, I want to be a skyscraper or, you know, maybe we could be like that mansion or, or maybe we could be um, 
Maybe we could be, you know, a, a monument to, you know, something that really stand out in the world. Maybe we'd be a theme park, you know, <laughs> it would be great. But God is assembling the church as living stones fashioned into a dwelling place for his Holy Spirit. And so we, in this way, we're kind of an anti-Babel. <laughs> Remember the story of, of Babel? Babel, Babel, I don't know what you call it. The story of Babel, Genesis chapter 11, after God hits reset, after the flood, and, and the, uh, well, there, then the, the people gather and they say, we're going we're gonna to build a tower that's going to raise to heaven. And the idea was that they were going to go up to God. And so humanity constructs this building project to get to God. Well, what God is doing through the church is kind of the reverse of Babel because he's saying, no, no, no. You can't build a way to get to me, but I'm going to build a house among you. And God's going to do it in his own way, and he's going to do it by his spirit. And the result is, actually, we cross back into Eden, <laughs> which is why in, in, in Revelation, when the whole thing comes together and John is receiving all these pictures and images from the Lord, you see the, the metaphors are just stacked. You know, Jerusalem is is a city, it's a cube, it's a, it's a bride, it's a garden. It, it, all, all these things, the, 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 the church becomes the dwelling place of God. And in Revelation 21, it's also noted by what's not there. What's not there is a temple. See, there is no temple in the very end. Why? Because God is fully dwelling among his people. Now, you probably don't think as much about temples as I do, uh, but a temple, really, the function of a temple was, it was the intersection point between the divine and the human. The divine and mortal flesh or, or, or what is created. And so the idea was you go to the temple, and this is not just Christianity, this is, this is pretty much any world religion, you go to the temple to encounter the divine. God, when, when he told Moses to build the tabernacle, and later that became the, the temple. And then Solomon, you know, he built that glorious temple. And Solomon's praying, and he says, God, I know you don't dwell in buildings made by human hands, but nevertheless, you have said you will put your name here, and you will look to this place. And so the idea was that it was in Jerusalem, that on Mount Zion, that God said, I will put my presence and I will put my name there. It didn't hold the fullness of God, but that was where you found God. You went to the temple and that had all sorts of entailments. And so now as the church, for us to be the temple of God, we become the intersection point between the divine and between the mortal between heaven and the world, we become the access point. What a thought. By collectively hosting the presence of God, we as the church also become priests. This is why the language goes from sort of like stones that don't move into priests. We mediate God's presence to the world through holy love and worship, and we take our shape and nature from Christ as we come. We're a temple. The purpose of our lives is now the worship of God. Not, not 
doing worship, our whole life becomes an act of worship. And Paul doesn't think he's raising the bar when he says to the Romans, he say, he doesn't think, you know, now your whole life is a sacrifice. You know, you're really going hard for Jesus. And so I can see that your, your whole life is a response to God's, to God's mercy. And he's not standing up giving, you know, giving applause to the Romans for doing this. No, no. He says, do this. It's your reasonable act of worship. This is who you are now. As the people of God who are indwelt by his spirit, we collectively host his presence. Suddenly, suddenly church takes on a whole new level of importance, doesn't it? Are you aware of God in our midst right now? I'm not talking in in your thoughts or, or, or in your heart. I'm talking in, in our midst as, as those who are indwelt by his spirit. Collectively, distinctly, but yet in unity, we, we are accommodating the presence of God in the spirit. In fact, it would even extend because Paul, when he would write Letters back to the churches in Corinth, he would say, you know, I am with you even though I'm not there. Because in the spirit, we are still together. God is building a temple through his church. That's what we are. A temple, if it's going to host and accommodate the divine presence, it means God truly dwells there. That means that there would be no sin there. It means that there would be reverence and order and, 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 and a yielding to his will. You see, in heaven, there is no rebellion. In heaven, there is no resistance to the will of God. It's so rich a picture that we're given in the New Testament that Paul is telling a group of non-believers, he says, you can't go to the pagan feasts because when you go to the pagan feasts, you are bringing the presence of God into the company of the presence of demons. These two should not be happening. Light has no fellowship with darkness. Not that they were trying to worship these idols, most of them, but Paul would say, he said, you carry God's presence with you. There is an ownership that God has. And it's not you individual, it's you all. You see, a lot of us think, oh, I, I'm not going to eat the cake. My body's a temple. <laughs> My body's a temple, I'm not going to eat the cake. And, and, and look, it's a, it's a good line, and I know we're supposed to steward our bodies, and, uh, but... But who's worshipped in the temple? <laughs> right? it's, not, it's not a temple to us. We are, the, we are a temple where God dwells by his spirit. All right, that's the first question. What is God building? Second question, how is God building it? And we're going to see here that we're founded upon Christ. Founded upon Christ. The construction is as follows. The cornerstone rejected by men but appointed by God is Jesus. He's the one that gives the whole thing shape. And 
the, prof, the apostles and the prophets form the rest of the foundation. And I love this picture because all the prophets are speaking words that are fulfilled in Christ and the apostles are carrying the words of Christ into greater fulfillment as time goes on. And this becomes the foundation of the church. So that Jesus, get this, he simultaneously, he bears the weight of the church as the cornerstone. He also gives shape to the redemption that the church enjoys. He sets the limits of it. Again, I'm not a builder. I'm not a, <laughs> uh, it's not a tr- I'm not good with tools, right? I, I, don't, I don't know much about these whole processes. But I'm learning, right? I'm learning, especially being in this area. You're learning a bit more about it. Well, you can have all the plans in the world for a block of land. But there's something different, isn't there, when the foundation goes in. When the foundation goes in, you know that's where the structure is. You see, it, it's, it's just kind of, it's just sort of land. But even before the, the, the edifice goes up, even before the structure, when the foundation gets laid, you say, no, that's where the building is. That's where the dwelling's going to be. You can see it. So too with us. Christ, the prophets, and the apostles form the foundation, and we can see the limits of what it means to be the people of God. We know what's in and we know what's out. Spirituality, in one sense, is helpful because God is spirit and we worship him in spirit and truth. But sometimes the way our culture uses the language of spirituality, it can, it can imply that there's no foundation set. It can imply that it says, look, you go get your own bag of concrete and you just, you just mix it and pour it where you want. You know, everyone's got their own little bag of concrete. Everyone's spiritual. Everyone's got their own little thing. You just go and, and, and you know what? You set up a little, you want to build a water closet over there? Sure, go ahead. You want to build, you know, a food stand over there? Go ahead. No, 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 no. The foundation is set. The limits have been, have been marked, which is why we preach the word of God here at WDBC. All those who point forward, excuse me, all those who point either forward or backward to Jesus, the the prophets and the apostles, they fill out this foundation and were lifted from the devil's quarry and were shaped for our own unique role in the sanctuary of the spirit. Jesus told Peter, he said, you're the rock and on this rock I'm going to build my church. Jesus using foundation language, Matthew 18. You're the rock, on this rock I'll build my church. And then he would say, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a weird image. I mean, gates are pretty inanimate, aren't they? The gates of hell will not prevail. What's the last thing a gate tried to do, right? (laughs) Gates just sit there. (laughs) You're either, you know, opened or closed. But the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is implying that, that this structure that he's building, you're Peter, you're the rock, and on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And, and I got this picture of, of these competing building projects, right? And God's trying to, God's, God's looking over humanity, and he's, and he's assembling this great great temple, this glorious temple in which to dwell from the living stones of humanity. You know, and, and the devil's got a fence out 
And he's trying to say, I'm keeping all the raw materials for myself. Hello. He says, I'm trying to keep all these materials for myself, right? You ever been by a building site? They're always locked up. You know, they're chained up. They're locked up. It's because while the construction process is going on, they don't want the materials to be stolen. Well, Jesus says, the gates of hell are not going to stop me from building my church. So he's going into the, where all this place. The devil's put his fence up. He said, you know what? You're not going to take this. You're not going to take that soul. You're not going to take that one. I'm building something with that person. I'm using that person to accomplish my purposes. And Jesus says, no, actually, frankly, not. And he gets out the bolt cutters and he goes in and he says, I'm going to take that one and I'm going to build my church with him or her. The gates of hell will not prevail against this building project. We're founded upon Christ, the apostolic witness. It sets the limits. It sets the, the, the trajectory. It's why you need to read the word of God. It's why you need to know what Jesus said. It's why creeds matter. It's why, unlike a church I heard of not too far from here when the pastor got up and said, you know, I decided some years ago that I don't really think Jesus is the son of God. It's why that church split. How somebody can actually say the deity of Christ doesn't matter to who we are, and you can still exist and function as a church, is beyond me. I have no idea. And neither did half the congregation. We don't tinker with the foundation. We don't pour our own foundation. It's a solid foundation, a firm foundation, as the hymn writers love to say. Finally, last question. What does the building say about its architect? What does the building say about its architect? Excuse the BBC Grand Design reference, I couldn't help myself. The church testifies that God is a grand designer. He is a grand designer. As a part of God's temple, we minister and mediate his presence in the world by his indwelling Holy Spirit. And I've just listed some things. This is not an exhaustive list, but I want you to just ponder this. Our diversity reflects God's wisdom, doesn't it? I look around this room and I see people of all different ages, different walks of life, different callings, different, different ethnic backgrounds. And do you know what the effect of that is? I give praise to God. I say, God, you are wise. I look at the different places God has called people from out of different circumstances. I look at, I look at the diversity of gifting and calling across this room and I see, God, wow, this is not some, stop it, Siri. This is not some shack that he's building in the woods. This is a grand structure that has much to offer and much to do. Our diversity declares God's wisdom. Our unity invites God's blessing. At the end of the day, a structure is only good as how it's constructed, isn't it? You need a foundation. The foundation has been set. But all of the component parts need to be brought into play, don't they? Imagine if some of these bricks just said, I don't want to be on this wall anymore. 
And they said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to be in that wall. You know, or, or, or you know, that, that brick over there said, I, I'm... I want to go hold up the barbecue out, out in the patio. And, and just, just imagine if, if these bricks were living and they just started, you know, just started moving around. You know, I, 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 want to be, I don't want to be a part of a church building anymore. I want, I want to be a part of a fill in the blank, right? But our unity in, invites God's blessing. Our faith declares God's judgment as collect this is this is pretty fascinating in Philippians chapter 1 Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and he says that their trust of, in Jesus is bringing fear upon the, their non-believing neighbors their faith results in fear because their faith stands as a testimony that God is real and if God is real and he is judging And that's something to be concerned about if you don't know him. Our faith discloses God's judgment. Our righteousness upholds God's justice. Again, the plumb line. Jesus, the cornerstone, is the perfect measure. Jesus is the perfect measure of a man. Perfectly balanced. Perfectly representative of the grace and truth that God is. Never faltering in righteousness, but never failing in his compassion. Jesus is the true measure, which is why Paul has no trouble saying that we as, as living stones who are coming to him, the cornerstone, we, we are conforming to his image. We're being made to look like him, which is why sometimes your, your life as a Christian feels like someone's taking a chisel and going, or like you're getting pressed up against the belt sander. Ow! Ow! I don't like that sandpaper. Put a bit of an ear. <laughs> Put a bit of polish on me. Our... Suffering extols God's glory. When you and I, because we bear the name of Jesus, stand in the path of loss, stand in the path of affliction, bear the persecution that belongs to him, when we do that, we are shouting the glory of God. We are saying that there is no greater treasure, that there's nothing you can take from me as a Christian. There's nothing I want more, as the psalmist would say, and nothing in the earth that I desire besides you. When we suffer for the name of Christ, we uphold the glory of God. We say to the world, God is rich and majestic and glorious, and why would you want to know anyone else? There's no amount of money you could give me that I would sell him out for. There's no affliction that I would endure that would cause me to forsake him. That's the type of message we send to the world. Even people like Job, who's making his own religious brethren uncomfortable, Even Job saying, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. 
We're telling the world that there is a greater good in this life than the good that you can have for yourself, than the good that you can accumulate, than the good that you can put yourself in the path to receive. We're telling the world that God is the blesser and the blessing. Do you believe that? Finally, our gospel reveals God's power. Now, I don't say our gospel as if we've invented it, but we've inherited it. We've, we've been entrusted with it. And when we declare as the church the truth of the Messiah come, suffered, died, buried, risen, ascended, reigning. When we bring that message into the world, God's power is unleashed. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. Here we are, we're stones in this temple. We're living stones being brought into this structure that God, that God is building, this, this sanctuary, this, this holy of holies that he's building, building to, to inhabit his creation. And and as God is building us, we might be tempted to think, you know, I know why he chose me, you see. I'm really strong. Or, you know, I occupy a key place in this wall. And I know why he's got me there. You see, with my talents, with my, with my relational networks, with my access to resources, with the intelligence and the smarts that I have, with all these things, we think, you know, I know why he's building, I know why he's using me. And if we're not careful, we can get stuck in that pattern of thinking too long, you know. Man, I gotta hold up this wall. I gotta hold up this church, you know. Wow, without me, oh, and I'm getting tired of bearing the weight, you know? We start thinking we're the cornerstone, and we're like, oh, man, I got to, oh, what am I going to do? And before long, we can begin to think that the greatest value that we bring to this building that God is building is our talents, our time, and our resources, but that's not the greatest value you can bring to the kingdom. That's not the thing that holds the most value that you have. The most valuable tool you have for building up the kingdom of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop and think about that. That, that is the most powerful thing you have. You want to see the kingdom of God grow? You want to see the temple built up? Take the gospel into the world. Sure, bring your talents, your time, and your resources with you. Absolutely, those are all helpful things. But the gospel, there's nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what gets other stones out of the locked up quarry. Let's talk about transformation. God lives at WDBC. <laughs> He's not only here, right? <laughs> right? Okay. But if God's word is true, and if there are any here 
who belong to Christ. And I believe there are many. And God is dwelling among us. So what does that mean? It means accommodating God's presence among us. Not accommodating as if we have to, you know, shell out for him and pay his bill. Not in that sense, but it means, it means hosting. It means like Abraham and Sarah with the three visitors saying, I recognize I'm in the presence of something great here, and I'm going to reorganize my afternoon. And I'm not going to use that calf to breed other calves. We're going to slaughter it and give it to our guests because we have someone special here. So how will accommodating God's presence transform our gathering church? It means, maybe more than this, but five things. First of all, it means we will live, quote unquote, our lives as an act of worship. Because again, my whole purpose has been reoriented. I'm now part of a structure whose whole purpose is worship. His whole purpose is ministering and mediating to the presence of God. Secondly, we will take up our appointed place and function. I am wrestling. I invite your prayers in this. I am wrestling as your pastor with the pressure from our culture to view church as a fee-for-service organization. You hear me? The idea being the church exists for me and if I don't like the service I'm being provided I test the market and I shop somewhere else. And I wrestle with that because I see it everywhere in in my own life when I look around and I see it in myself. We are so used to being marketed we're so used to, to, to being sold. Everything is branded. But God doesn't need to market the church. God is building his church. If we come into the fellowship of God's people here and we, and we say, well, what's it doing for me? That's like the brick thinking, what is this whole structure doing for me? Hello? The structure doesn't exist for the brick. The brick is blessed to be a part of the structure. The, 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 the brick benefits from the things that goes on. They, they participate in it, but the structure doesn't exist for the brick. Each person has a part to play, which is why, brothers and sisters, which is why when we go into a consumer mindset when we walk into a church, or when we consider the role of the church in our lives, when we bring a consumer mindset into that space, we are cutting the legs out from our calling to take up our place, whether it fulfills our desires or not.
We're saying, I don't trust the architect. I don't trust the builder. All I should be asking myself when it comes to my involvement in church is not what is a gift, not what is a gift to me, but what has God gifted me? Which wall do I fit into? What am I called to bear? What am I called to uphold? Where is my place of service? Where has the Spirit of God equipped me? Where does he bring his life through me? That's what we ought to be asking. And then we labor in it. We bring ourselves to it. Thirdly, we need to take down the false front we show the world. <laughs> there's, this, there's, this, there's this lot that's been bought by a developer just up the road. You've probably driven by. I don't know exactly the crossroads. But there's this lot that's developed, put on by a developer. And... And I've seen, I've seen the, the, the billboards change like three times, four times, you know? It's like, oh, this is going to be a mini golf place. Oh, this is going to be a, you know, this is going to be a car park. Oh, this is going to be this. And, and you know, and, and there's this sort of facade that's put out and says, this is what it's going to be. Or, you know, the place is under construction. You know, for some reason, we can't see things being built. So we got we to gotta wrap it in all this advertising, you know, and say, we'll be back in six months with this brand new version of your bank, you know? Because the last one wasn't working. As Christians, sometimes we feel like we need to put up this, this facade, this false front. Oh, I'm not a church. I'm not a, oh, Jesus gospel? Oh, that's not me. I'm cool. I'm comfortable. I'm relatable. You know, we hang the sign that says, you can be friends with me. Yeah, there's fine print down there. Yeah, I go to church. <laughs> but for some of us, we take the take the facade off. Take the false advertising off. Just be the church. Just be a Christian. Love Jesus and let people know that. That's okay. If Jesus means something to you, don't pretend like he doesn't. Fourthly, we need to take care not to destroy what God is building. This is one of Paul's big things when he's writing to the churches. They're arguing about, you know, what sort of foods they can eat and what sort of foods they can't eat. And, and, and Paul lands in a very interesting place in those discussions. He says, if I'm going to summarize here, effectively, watch out that you don't destroy God's building because he will destroy you. If I'm a termite-infested piece of wood... In this structure, guess what? If I'm a threat to the building God is building, he's going to knock me out of the wall. Watch out. Ananias and Sapphira. You say, Jonathan, you're, bit, you're sort of stretching this a bit too far. Well, tell us, what's going on with Ananias and Sapphira? God is in the early stages of building his church, and people are responding with generosity, and in walks this couple who think, you know what? We love this generous spirit, but... 
don't know if we love it as much as Barnabas. So let's lay down our gift in front of the apostles and show everybody that we're committed, but we're going to keep back some of the proceeds for ourselves because after all, there's rising inflation and, you know, there's a crisis going on around the world. And so we're just going to keep back part of it. And they're judged not for that. They're judged because they lied. They lied to the Spirit of God because in the presence of the assembly of all those, all those indwelled by the Spirit, they went up to the front. They said, this is who I am, and they lied. And you know what God did? He says, you are a threat to this building, and on the spot, they dropped. Dropped dead right there. Why? Because God will not have deception rotting the walls of his temple. So we need to be careful that we don't destroy what God is building. And finally, remember, we take our shape and our plumb line from Jesus Christ. If all this is just feeling stretched a bit too far for you, remember, the shape of your own life is to come into conformity with the cornerstone, that is Jesus. If that's all you need to think about this week, that's a good thing to think about. Because as you let the Lord Jesus shape your life, chisel off your weird bits, (laughs) the parts that are sticking out, as you let him knock you into place, as you let him fasten you into his temple, into his structure, as you let him do that, you will find exceeding joy. You will bring glory to God. And you will, you will know the security of being firmly lodged in place. God lives among us at WDBC. He's building a holy temple. I pray that our reputation is not that we're a friendly church or that we're, I mean, though I want to be friendly, uh, it's not that we are a, a missional church or not that we're a transformation church. Or, or my, my prayer, quite simply, is that WDBC is a place where people know God is there. The Lord Jesus is there. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of holiness is at work. Let's pray. God, would you continue your work? Lord, we are living stones. We don't like to stay in one place. We don't like to sit still. But Father, we trust that you are the master builder. And so Lord, in this world that seeks to construct its own kingdom, help us to be content being built into yours. Lord, you told us that more parts, that some parts will receive more glory than others. And Lord, I pray for those people who feel like they don't have much of a part. I pray for them that they would be filled with your sense of joy and honor that comes with being in that crucial part, even if no one sees it. God, would you continue to build us up that Christ may be magnified that we would be a place that is known as a place where you dwell. We ask these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. I'll invite the worship team to come to come forward again. Uh, after this, well, I encourage you to use this song as 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 just a time to reflect. It's a simple song. We've we've sung it before a little bit, but it has this this simple language of "We are your people, you are our God, we are your temple." As we sing those words, I want you to recognize what you're saying, that God himself is among you, is among us, and let's conduct ourselves accordingly. Thanks, Steve. Please stand.
take a moment now to share a bit about our vision. Our gospel vision is to see all people transformed by God's word and spirit for faith in Christ. Um, it's a really powerful song. I think part of the reason it's a powerful song is because it's, it's based right on the word of God. And 1 Peter 2, 4 says, as you come to him, as you come to him, as living stones, you are being built. We will not be built if we do not come to him. Um, when Jesus was trying to tell his people about the kingdom of God, one of the most confusing things for them was this idea that God was not restricted to a physical building, but that God would make his dwelling in people. John chapter 2, verse 19 Jesus got in trouble with the Pharisees. He said, after they were talking about the temple, he said, this is my sign to you. I will destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And they thought he was talking about the structure. John would write that later, after the resurrection, they would understand he meant the temple of his body. And is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the imparting of the Holy Spirit which unleashed the construction of this temple, him building it anew in human beings. So WDBC, you are not this facility. You are not this parking lot, this auditorium, this complex. That is not the church. You are the church. You're the temple. I had the privilege of 
sitting in on the National Christian Life Survey, and we got some fascinating um, statistics that came, came through that. One was um, about 20% of Christians, 20% of people go to church once a month, which is enough to consider them Christians, according to the survey. Uh, about another 20% are very resistant to the idea of going. 60% who do not go to church, about half of those 60%, so 30% of the general population who is not attending church would be willing to go to church if invited by somebody they knew. So 60% of the people say they're open to going to church. Of that group that was in, that, that's, that's asked, half of them said they would be willing to go if invited by somebody they knew. Relationship is huge. We're at a decisive point in the direction of our, of our church, and I'm noticing the gospel working its way into people's lives, but I think there's a few places where we're struggling to work it out. And I think those two places we're struggling to work it out are the places that, as a culture and a society, things we hold very dear because there's not much of it. And one of those is financial resources, and the other is our real relationships. And so when we ask ourselves, what does it look like for the gospel to integrate into our financial resources, it means I don't look at the money as my money. I look at everything as a gift from God. And he's the one I trust to provide for me, not myself. And so when I, quote unquote, give money to the church, I'm not making a spiritual investment. I'm not contributing to a spiritual mutual fund. I'm bringing my offering to the Lord at the place where he is, which is at the gathering of his people. An offering is a release. It's a yielding. It's saying, God, I don't own anything. I recognize everything you have given, you've given to me. And so as a grateful response and as an expression of my continued dependence, I bring my offering. But here in Sydney, money is precious. Housing prices are often 10 times an annual wage, if not more. People are struggling. And so the idea that we might even accommodate to Old Testament standards and, and bring a tenth, bring the first tenth, it seems undoable. But God doesn't say, think about what's doable. He says, honor me with your resources. And our personal relationships, the studies have shown that now more than ever, people are craving community. They don't feel like they have real connection with people. Now, that's been exacerbated after COVID, but it was starting long before COVID. I think Putnam wrote a book in the 1960s called Bowling Alone that lamented the demise of community. This, we have becoming increasingly individualistic. And so when you ask people to say, how does the gospel integrate into your real relationships? They don't feel like they have many. But yet that is precisely way, the way the gospel spreads. It spreads through those real relationships. And so I see part of us integrating the truth of God is inviting people to hear the gospel. The people that we know. Sure, some people are good at standing on a street corner. There's not many of them. 
but a lot of you know how to be a friend. And God says, he speaks truth to his friends. Jesus would say, I now call you my friends because I share my plans with you. And so I encourage you to think through those two aspects. If we're about transformation and how God is changing us, is he renewing our minds? Absolutely. Is he, are we willing to give him our time? Absolutely. We got so many people willing to serve in this church. But consider those two points. Has the gospel integrated into our resources and has it integrated into our relationships? What would it look like for God's kingdom to come in those areas? In those areas, what is my, what is your kingdom come, your will be done look like? And that's what I want you to consider. The reason to consider that is because, brothers and sisters, the field is white and it's not far away. It's right over there. It's right over there. We're going to finish um, in a song, but let me pray. God, as we think about uh, the work you're wanting to do, I pray that we would be aligned with your purposes. Lord, may your kingdom be reflected in us wholly and not just, not just in the bits that uh, maybe we might naturally think of. But I pray that we would be uh, accountable before you, um, Lord, to, to see our whole life as worship, even those things dear to us like our resources, our financial resources and our real relationships. I pray that you would receive these offerings as we walk in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.